Hi everyone, I'm Diego Martinez and this is Tunes, a podcast about the songs we vibe to. As you may know, Tunes is a show that focuses on the context and legacy of some of the most underrated club anthems out there, as told by the people at the very heart of the creative process. Today, we are joined by legendary British vocalist and songwriter Lee John, who will take this time to celebrate four decades of his group Imagination and share memories of the making of his iconic hits, including the eternal 1982 single, Just an Illusion. Illusion is epic because it is. You hear it in the arrangement and it seems to last for eternity. It's gonna last me and it's gonna last so many other people. We're all searching for that destiny. We never know where it's gonna take us because life is like that. So it's all part of this illusion of life. It's safe to say there is nothing quite like imagination in the annals of popular music, before or since. In an era where musical trends were shifting in the UK, from lightweight bubblegum pop and glam rock to the edginess of punk and new wave, the sight of three black men singing sultry synth soul dressed up as spacemen from Mars or images of Greek ancestry was both mystifying and completely inspiring. Imagination were bassist Ashley Ingram, drummer Errol Kennedy, and in my humble opinion, one of the most compelling and flamboyant lead singers, Lee John. Together with the help of innovative songwriting and production duo Steve Jolly and Tony Swain, they created an evocative sound that was very much their own one that garnered admiration from worldwide fans and from many of the decade's biggest music names. And it didn't hurt that they made their impact with a dash of glitter and a sea of sequin outfits that were the talk of the town on the TV studios of both Top of the Bops and Soul Train. Lee has come a long way since the release of Just an Illusion back in 82. He was born Leslie McGregor Kermichael John to St. Lucian parents on June 23, 1957. As with all families from the Caribbean, music was an instrumental part of his upbringing, which he shared between his native London and New York City. When he was only 11, Lee, a fan of Motown, Nat King Cole, and Aretha, was signed to a production company and was being groomed in the field of entertainment before his father sent him back to London. It did not take long before his talent got noticed by recording companies in England, something that motivated Lee to perfect his craft and pay his dues on the road. I was a kid, I was a soul kid you know we would go you know go to crackers which was a club in london 
um, we'd bunk off school and we'd, we'd be dancing in crackers, dress up and, you know. So I came from that scene and uh, there were records that I would, oh my God, yeah, I really want to get into. And I used to follow all the UK um, British black bands who were out there that I knew. The Light of the Worlds, the Central Lines, the Links, um, Junior Jiskin. We knew each other. We all knew each other, you know. I was recording as a kid. I was signed to EMI when I was about 14, 15, as a duo. And so I was always writing, I was always recording. So even before Imagination, I had a load of recordings and things like that. And some of them are still there in the vaults, you know, from DAT to CD to now put onto digital. My first single was with um, my good friend Russell, Russell Fraser, as a duet called Get Up. When I first started to work with this band, the Sun Valley Serenaders, and I'm very proud of them because we used to play the bingo halls, we used to play the pubs. This is way before imagination, it's my learning curve. After I had this very non-successful career um, as a pop star, as a duo, signed to EMI, thinking we're gonna be the next Jacksons, you know, and uh, nothing happened. And we had top session musicians, by the way, Gonzalez, who had, um, haven't stopped dancing yet, they were on record musicians. The background vocals were Thunder Thighs. They sang on Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild Side. They were the, the ones that sing, and the colored girls go. They were our backing vocalists. I was still in school. So you can imagine, you know, the manager says, let's go out and get some snakeskin shoes. Let's get some velvet jackets. You're a star. You know, so it's like, oh wow, we're going to school, like, yeah, mate, we're really, really, yeah, we're happening. And then all of a sudden it's from there to there. I always felt, you know what? I need to learn more about the trade. I need to be the best as well. I, I looked at all the, those that were up there and I thought, I need to be refined. I need to know more. I need to be studying. I need to be training. And I did acting, I did this, I did loads of different things, but, always learning and the Sun Valley Serenaders were a fantastic platform for me because we did Calypso, steel band, reggae, soul, funk, we did everything and we'd be in these bingo halls that used to be old theatres so they'd have maybe 1500 people in there, they'd have you know really packed because they're old cinemas you know old, 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 old uh, music halls and by that time bingo was such a big thing they'd be packed out so we do three sets. So that prepared me for being with the audiences and knowing what they liked. And I loved that. And then I used to play a pub, the, the George Cannon Pub in Brixton, which was a heavy, heavy pub run, run by this wrestler who was really known on TV. And you'd have such a, a diverse audience. So that's transcended into imagination. The road towards imagination took some time. While Lee learned more about the trade, he began making demos with acclaimed producer Trevor Horn. His work with the former leader of the Buggles on another of these early singles led him to a fateful meeting with one half of the production duo that brought the imagination sound to life. I had another record called Got To Be Good which was a song I'd recorded with Trevor Horn. 
and I was working with Trevor Horn uh, as a session singer for the Eurovision Song Contest with a wonderful singer called Sonia Jones. It was epic, an epic track. I've got it somewhere in, in, in the can. And um, I took it to Red Bus, which was the, the record company I went, you know, initially, well, eventually signed to. And um, they loved it and thought this could be a single. So we need to get the master. So I was managed by another um, company called Grey Count. And they said, okay, we'll work a deal out for Lee to go on to this other company. This is way before I got Ashley and Errol involved. And so the track got sent to America to get um, re-recorded and put, uh, I think they were trying to get Earth and Fire horns and stuff on it. And, and um, they lost the master. And basically we only had a rough mix, um, but they lost the master. And I thought my career, that was it. You know, I thought that was the end. The record company were very embarrassed. They liked my writing and everything. They were trying to feed my ego and say, oh, don't worry. Blah, blah. And then out of the blue, they said, look, I think Tony Swain may have something for you, an idea. It's up to you whether you want to do it or not, whatever. And I was kind of, okay. You know, I was, I was like, I could have been the star and you've taken it away from me now, you know. So um, we bumped into each other and I said, oh, Lee, I, I heard you were here. I've been listening to what you've been doing your ideas, I love your voice, I've got this cassette, and um, if you'd like to write something on it for me, I, you know, that'd be great and stuff. I said, oh, okay, all right. So I took it home, had my Panasonic cassette machine, which I used to take everywhere, and I stuck it in, and I heard the beginning of something really interesting. So I decided to start writing a lyric and then I started overdubbing my voice with my mother's cassette radio, which we called it. And I had a little reel-to-reel four-track, reel-to-reel. And I started doing all the background vocals and everything. And I, I wrote Body Talk. found up Ashley and I said to him because Ashley was doing sessions with me I was working with all these different groups and he would be playing with them and by this time we'd been write, doing some writing together and stuff like that I said you know these guys want me to do something I'm, I'm not sure you know they lost my track blah 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 maybe we could do an Ashland Simpson sort of thing you know so um so we went into the studio and um because I phoned Morgan Khan Morgan Khan at that time he was um uh, the A&R guy at uh, Red Bus, who, who actually said, look, I want to sign you. He said, come in the studio, show me what you got. So I went in and um, I knew exactly what we want, how we wanted to do the vocal arrangement. And I sat there, they sat there, sorry. And we did the whole thing and we rehearsed it and rehearsed it. I wanted to be right. And then I decided let's spin in the, the background vocals, which we did for, and Ashley was singing high, and they said, look, maybe he should come down, because, you know, you'll give you more contrast. And then we did a few overdubs, and they were just saying, well, you've rehearsed it, you know, why didn't you record it? And I, I kept saying, not ready yet, not ready yet. So then finally, they were getting really frustrated, because they thought, these performances are really cool, you know, and it was very organic. So in the end, we did it, one take. Morning, afternoon, and night. We're laid together side 
So what you hear on Body Talk is all the way through from start to finish and then just added the That just came like that and that was it and then the, the mix was pushing up the bass and, and using the Harrison desk so the EQs and stuff like that With a group name that came about as a tribute to John Lennon, Imagination broke through with their debut single, Body Talk, in May 1981. The slow and sexy tune got no radio airplay at first, but it was through the soul clubs and the public interest that the single received the recognition it deserved. It took a few months for Body Talk to reach the charts, and when it did, it secured the band a spot on top of the pops when another act was a no-show. It was the right time for Lee, Ashley, and Errol to make their sizzling BBC TV debut with an exotic image that almost left nothing to the imagination, no pun intended. The late 70s was punk, and at the beginning of the 80s was new wave. And if you remember... At that time, I came from a Brit funk outfit. So we were tribes and we would go to clubs and we would all dress differently. So you had a combination of the punk, the new wave, this whole Brit funk thing. Everybody was trying to be individual. And if you think back, if you weren't born in that period, it would be hard to remember, but to, to Im imagine that everybody had big hair. Every, the, the guys would wear more makeup than the girls at that time, especially the white guys, you know. They would go out with charcoal and if there are, it was part of that heavy, heavy cheekbones. And the designers were, what can I say? It was a, a high level. Vivian Westwood, Catherine Hamner, and everyone was experimenting and taking it to another level, especially in London. So we were always taking it to another level. And I didn't overtly go out to be very sexual. It just came through that. I remember seeing Funkadelic and the Mothership Connection come to London in the late 70s. And they did this whole show that started from seven o'clock till midnight. And we were kids going, oh my God, we got to do something like that, spectacular. This thing coming down and this guy had this nappy and stuff like that. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, okay, that sounds really great. Then you saw it from the fire and Mother's Finest and all these other groups. And we thought, instead of us being for three guys in suits or something like that, like the Temptations or, you know, we didn't want to be the same in that level. So we can easily grow into that later on, but at this point in time, you know, let's try and, and, and push the button using fabric, using um, glitter, using tools. You know, for example, in the Boy Talk video, the cloak I wore came out of the film The Devils, which Oliver Reed had with um, Leonard Jackson. I had this bodice thing which I wore on top of the pot of black sort of thing and that came from another film. We bought it as a stage prop, you know. And it became a thing, especially with the female audiences, that they all wanted to see my legs. It was a situation. Till finally I started to go the opposite way and cover up. But it was always a situation, oh, we love your legs, you know, you shave your legs. And I never shaved my legs in my life, you know. So it was one of those things. And I was always very skinny. And I just thought the guys were, you know, they had all the, the hunk and stuff like that. So I would hide, kind of hide behind them and do all these outlandish things and think, well, let's, you know. And we were dancing like we did in the clubs. So when we first went 
on top of the pops. They couldn't get into that because they thought, what the hell's going on here? But the club scene was like that, especially the black club scene. We were just getting down, gyrating, doing our thing. And it was a completely new movement. Body Talk peaked at number four on the UK charts, selling over 250,000 copies and staying on the top 50 for 18 weeks. The song became the title track of their first album with Jolly and Swain, which also featured songs like Flashback, So Good So Right, and Burning Up, the latter acknowledged by the late Frankie Knuckles as influential in the development of house music. Burning Up definitely has been sung up for the news and a lot of the Chicago house people feel that Burning Up was one of the first house records though it was the number, though it was we did it, it was 81, 82. So because of the piano, da, 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 that, and that, that house riff on the piano has been, it was, well, from 87, 88, 90, that became anthemic to house origin. So that was like, say, the godfather of house music, burning up in a sense, in, in that uh, capacity. I sing this song for you, please listen. It's the only way I can speak to you. There was this ballad, Don't Look Back, and which is called Brackets, I'll Always Love You, which was going to be a single, but then I remember recording it and I put all my heart and soul into it. And I wanted to do like, uh, we were all influenced by Michael Jackson's Off The Wall album at the time. So I wanted to do my own She's Out Of My Life, you know? And so whatever was going in, through, in my life at the time, I wanted to put that down into lyric and melody. So, um, and I remember the record company was saying to me, you only have X amount of days and times to do this track because we want to put the album out, we're going to get, you know, there was, it was all that politics and stuff. And so I managed to do that. And then the same day, same day, same night, I recorded Flashback. I was rewriting it. I had the title. And then I was thinking that year, all the stuff that had been going through, we, you know, we, all of a sudden we were successful and... It was like, wow, you know, we're starting up now, we're on our way, leaving all our yesterdays behind. And it became part of the song. And then Don't Look Back was um, going to be the single because everybody thought, wow, this is really incredible. But then all of a sudden they thought, oh, Imagination's gone up temper now with Flashback. The Imagination Sound, engineered by Jolly and Swain, was in high demand and captured the attention of folks like Spandau Ballet, Alison Moye, and Bananarama, who later recorded with the duo at their Red Bus Studios, inspired by their work with Lee, Ashley, and Errol. They came because of Body Talk. Everybody loved Body, body Talk was the epiphany of what they wanted because of the bass the sound and the vocal sounds. It 
If you listen to True, you're hearing Lee John backgrounds. That's my riff. You know what I'm saying? It's like when someone's doing Aretha Franklin, you know, like Aretha Franklin riff. You know that's Aretha's riff. That in True is my riff. Even Tony didn't realize that. Tony had it. I said, that, that that's not a Spandau Ballet riff. Steve Jolly, who worked with us, and worked, always worked together on the vocals, he immediately says, that's a lead job. What I would do, that breathy kind of ha 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 ha, that's me. That's me. I'm not singing it, but that's what they, they ripped off. Not ripped off, but they did it. They reproduced it. So that became, even on some of the Banana Rama things, he did that. They, you know, they did some of that kind of stuff. You can see the elements of what we did on that. With Swain and Jolly, I had a lot of freedom. We experimented a hell of a lot. We had a routine of how we worked together. No song would be written without me involved in it. Um, you know, even for the third album, doing New Dimension and, um, for example, Shibdi Dabadubi, which became a huge hit in South Africa and stuff like that. This means war. Even up until today, I'm still very great friends with Tony. And actually, I went to his 70th birthday and uh, he's what I call a silent genius. He's really... He was great technically and he invented a lot of things in the studio that you now hear and what people use with the sounds, with the bass synth, you know, with the EQ, um, with the house and desk, um, with the AMS and what have you, you know, he, um, I always had a lot of freedom, you know, well, I was not like, we weren't, you know, manipulated or anything like that especially when it came to the writing, we'd, we'd you know, we'd take the piss out of certain titles or songs, or if something wasn't right, he'd say, I think we could improve on this. So I wouldn't say, oh, no, no, I think it's right, da, 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 da. You know, if he felt, if you felt it was right, then I'd have to say, why? You know, so if it was something emotionally. The funny thing is, I was working with Tony, and I know today, if I went back to work with him, I would still create and write, and I perform the way the imagination sound, you know what I'm saying? It's like I would go into this zone and I, I would lyrically write and, and arrange and, and it, will, it will come out phonetically in that kind of sensibility. It was just, it's like fitting a glove. Writing on the success of the Body Talk album and singles, the pressure was on to continue the momentum achieved. For the band's fourth single, Jolly and Swain provided a groove that confused the otherwise ready Lee John. At this point in his career, it became the most troubled recording session he'd been a part of, unbeknownst to him. Something magical was being created. When we were recording it, I remember very well, it was not the easiest of records for me to sing at that time, because by this time, Red Bus was on the map. Everybody wanted to use the studio to get the same sound. Steve Levine, a producer, who produced, I think, Boy George and Culture Club, they wanted that, so they thought being in the studio in that environment, they'd get the same thing. They had the Beach Boys, not Beach Boys, but the Everly Brothers, I think, came over. Loads of people started coming. So all of a sudden, we wanted the piano that was in the, in the main room on the track, and we had to go elsewhere sometimes, because, you know. But with Illusion, I remember, because I used to sing some of my best vocals in the drum booth. So I'd be in the drum booth where um, the drums would be and it had a, a mirror. And so sometimes that could also enhance or change the sound of your voice or, you know, just technically, you, you don't realize this, but it did enhance different things. But um, we'd done the verses, I remember. Or did we do the verses? No, we'd done the choruses. We did the choruses. I think we had the choruses. And I just was not 
feeling the song. I just, something was not right. I was just feeling, to me, it had hints of something else we've done before. And I was at that time, I think I was listening to Aretha Franklin's Who's Zoom In Who album or something. So I wanted to sing like Aretha. <laughs> like, you know, I was listening to, I was being interested in that with Luther. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be so simple. I think a lot of singers probably have that. You want to run away from where you, what people love. And um, Steve used to have an expression, darling, sparkle, sparkle. You just sparkle, darling, sparkle. That's it. You're sparkle. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I remember we'd done all the background vocals, but when it came to the lead and stuff, I was like, I'm not sure about this. I was singing it every other way than the way everybody wanted me, not everybody, but um, the guys wanted me to do it. I was determined to do it my own way. And I normally would get my way, but this time I was really, I know I was in the stratosphere. <laughs> you know, it's like what Jennifer Hudson would do right now. I was in a song, I was doing that with illusion. It's funny. session went on through the night and into the wee hours of the morning. A frustrated Lee went outside of the Red Bus studio to share his feelings of uncertainty with a close friend. It was about 12 o'clock at night, I think 12, 1 o'clock at night. And normally it's like this, boom, boom, boom. We were loggerheads and I went outside and uh, I was chatting to my friend who was just saying, you know, like, what's, what's wrong? So I said, you know what, there's so much pressure because this is the second album and second albums are the hardest. I've got this weight and everybody's really on my case mentally and stuff like that. And he was just saying to me, no, think back to when you first started, think back to all, and this is a friend of mine who used to see me play in the bingo halls and the pubs and, you know, the small bands and stuff like that. And um, he said, no, you know, um, just chill, take it easy, and you know how to do it. They don't know how you do it, you just know how to do it, so you know. I went in and I remember they didn't know what was gonna happen. I bit my tongue, I said nothing, I said just roll the tape, and I did it, bam. And they thought, we spent all these hours, and then they'd never ever had an issue with me before, it was just that one song, and I just did it. And then at the end I said, I've got an ad lib, I wanna add to the end on the front because in those days it's what takes it to cut things and stuff. So what you hear, illusion, that was at the end. And Tony was a gracious guy. I said, look, please put that at the very beginning. Intros to me were very important. So what you hear was at the end and it was spun in the beginning. So I got my wish for that. And, uh, and I wanted a kind of a phaser sort of spiritual sort of sound coming through and then coming into it. And um, they listened. I did the first verse and the second verse right after each other because they didn't, there was no place on the tape. So basically I did the first verse, the second verse in one breath and I did it in the tone that we felt it needed to be and phonetically and stuff like that. And um, then I left the studio and it was like, everyone said thank you. It wasn't a situation of, oh, you do it again or you had loads and loads of Lee's lead vocal on there. You didn't. And that's why sometimes people dig up multi-tracks and there's not thousands and thousands of deletes. Exactly oh, 
by the time Illusion was done and was placed together, and um, a guy called Dave Ford, he was into the mixes at that time, and he was the one that put the da da the accent, da 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 da. He was the one that put that in there, and it was like, oh, this is wicked, you know, because he was hearing a lot of American music. So he added that that sort of accent, and it was like, oh, okay. So I mean, as long as I had all my top lines and all my harmonies, and 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 sometimes, and Ashley would come in to put his little bit in there and what have you. It was a, a cool time. It was really a cool time. I love my grooves. You know, I love my. I love to dance. So you know, for me, it's an important thing. But even with just an illusion, it's only about I think 115 BPM or something like that. It's not 120 BPM. It's not. Fast, but you feel as if it is. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're getting in there. When we finished the recording, I didn't like it. I didn't like Illusion. I'd recorded the song in the heat of the night, and I loved in the heat of the night because it was very what I was about. You know. In a cold, hard world, when you're out on your own. In a cold, hard world, when you're out on your own. No one, no one understands. Oh, it's like, oh my gosh, this was, this is my song, you know. And I thought that's got to be the next single. And I said, ready to come in. That's, and then we, they'd listen to us. They said, okay, if you believe in it. While we were in New York, we were out there promoting the first album, and we were doing "So Good, So Right," "Burning Up," "Tim Do My Love." I think we did "Body Talk." Illusion was coming out in the UK. Frankie Crocker. I remember we were in the limousine and we were going to to the airport to Canada, and Frankie Crocker said, "I have an exclusive for Imagination. It's not out here yet, but you got to hear this." And he played it on the radio. Everyone in the car, you know, that record executives, DJs. Not feeding the egos, but just saying that is going to be a number one. This is going to be the hit. Well, I was thinking, what happened in the heat of the night? Why is that nice? You know, what, what's happened? And I was like, they went against me. That record company, they went. You know, I was like, this thing. Though the title track of their second LP, "In the Heat of the Night," was a top thirty hit in England, it did not match the success that "Just an Illusion" had on a global scale. It became the group's biggest chart hit in their native UK, peaking at number two, and it also reached the top ten in almost a dozen countries. Just an illusion crossed over to the US, going to number fifteen on the dance charts and number twenty-seven on R&B. It has seen an afterlife thanks to its placement on the Netflix series Man vs. Bee. And its sample on Destiny's Child's self-titled debut album, as well as on the Mariah Carey track "Get Your Number," from her 2005 comeback LP, "The Emancipation of Mimi." You know, I see on the internet, I see. Um, top ten of people's lists of all-time great songs. I'm just, you know, bewildered by it. You know, who would have thought, you know, that people really means that much to them? I, I'm, I'm just blessed and, and, and happy that they still do. I mean, the fact is, you've got Rowan Atkinson in the shower on Man vs. Bees. He's in the shower and he's emulating us. 
in, you know, on me, whatever, singing the verse in illusion. And I was, I sat there dumbfounded thinking, oh my God, he's actually singing the song, you know, and it's 21, it's 2022. How many years later, you know, 40 years later, I'm thinking, wow, that's amazing, you know, and that's going to stay with the next generation. So it's amazing how our music is going from one generation to the next. I've noticed since the pandemic that more people want to hear more house music, more dance music. They're going back in time. A lot more people are. So, you know, I'm just hoping that we can provide more uplifting spiritual music for everybody to enjoy, you know. In total, Lee recorded seven albums with Imagination, the latest being 2016's Retropia, credited to Imagination featuring Lee John. Though the trio's initial chart success in the UK waned after the first half of the 1980s, Lee John hasn't stopped and continues to be one of the hardest working men in the industry. He collaborated with Damon Albin on the song The Lost Chord from Gorillaz's latest album, 2020's Song Machine, and has a slew of projects waiting to see the light of day, from his comprehensive documentary on British black music called Flashback, to a recording with Latin Grammy-winning artist Jorge Versillo, and a smooth jazz album with Chuck Attack's music maestro, Bill Sharp. He's even plotting a return to form, working alongside producer Tony Swain on songs that will hark back to the bass-heavy imagination sound of the early 80s. I am going to do something with Tony. We talked about it for my own solo album. So, and everyone, I think, is trying to supply me with imagination sounding records. And the thing is, I've been fighting, fighting, saying, oh, do I want to go to the... But then I'm thinking to myself, probably I need to give people a little taster of what they knew, but trying to do it in today's kind of a, a, a feel. So we're, we're working on, on something like that. So it doesn't sound stayed, but it, 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 it can be contemporary in that level. Lee can still be seen twirling and dancing on the live concert circuit with his band, displaying an enviable, youthful energy. I want my shows to be an event. That's the important thing. So I don't want to be the world sterile. I try and make every show the event. So, you know, people say, oh, you, you're trying to be over the top. No, I'm not trying to be over the top. I'm trying to make sure it's the best for each audience and try and give each audience something a little bit different. You may be singing the same songs, but I still want to make sure that each audience is left with something personal. So that to me is important. So I still do some costume changes and, and, and different things like that. Give them a little bit of the pizzazz, um, which I think they don't expect, you know, these little situations. And it also gives me a breath so I can at least have a breather in between. Um, I say, they people ask me my age, I said, I'm, I'm 40 plus that. <laughs> and that's what I'm sticking to. So for me, I have a responsibility to deliver the songs of Imagination and Lily John the best way I can. And um, it took me a while to, to know who Lee John is in my own self, you know, and um, not to be bothered by anything really, just do your thing and do it the best way you possibly can and try to innovate the best way you can. And um, 
I just go from different projects to different projects that I like, that inspire and also that I feel a good love for, you know, and I get excited still, you know, which is, which is important. As the years have gone by, there's certain things people wanted to work with me and they've wanted certain sounds and I don't know what they're talking about. And then all of a sudden I think, oh, okay, that's what they're, you know, it's like working with um, the Gorillaz guys, you know, all of a sudden they were saying, they heard a certain thing in my, in my tone and they thought, top of the pops, that's what they, and they started dancing. It was really funny. And, um, and I thought, ah, so certain things musically, vocally evoke things in people and sends them back, including myself. And, but when you're the subject, it's a little bit sometimes different. And I've always tried to keep myself very grounded in, in what I do. You talk about the spiritual side of stuff. Um, it took me into the nineties really to actually try and understand what it is about myself and what we give to other people in a musical sense, a live sense. And, um, you know, we are vessels that people come to, especially since we've had this pandemic that we we're vessels people come to because we're supplying that positive energy, that escape, that upliftment. It may be a sad song, but that sad song still makes you feel good. You know, that um, dance song takes you to a place where you were years ago. Throughout 2022 and 2023, Lee John is celebrating four decades of imagination with his Just an Illusion concert tour and the release of a whopping 17-CD bot set that features his entire musical output, unreleased demos, and extended mixes. He doesn't shy away from the legacy artist tag, and in Lee's case, it's well-earned, thanks to a string of timeless songs like Just an Illusion that feel as fresh as they did four decades ago. Like the lyrics he penned for the song, Lee had been searching for his destiny to become one of British Soul's pioneering artists, touching many hearts along the way with his feel-good music. Illusion is epic because it is. You hear it in the arrangement and it seems to last for eternity because it's, it's, it's going to outlast me and it's going to last so many other people. There were so many people who contributed to um, my career our careers imagination and to others that are not no longer with us and um, that were there at the time and also helped to inspire me and the group um, and you know they were out promoting and that's very special to me so epic is that legacy we're all searching for that destiny we never know where it's going to take us because life is like that. So it's all part of this illusion of life. You think it's gonna go there, but it goes there. You meet somebody, you think it's gonna be there, it's never gonna be the way you want it to be. It is all an illusion. It's just the fact that, you know, it's what you make of life, I think. That's an important factor. And what you put into it, you know, um, and taking the time. Thanks so much to Lee for his contributions to music and to this episode. And thanks to all of you for listening. This episode was produced and hosted by yours truly, Diego Martinez. Our executive producer is Nicholas Nick Fretch Buzo. And our audio engineer is Adam Fogel. 
Follow Tunes all over social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TunesPod. That is C-H-O-O-N-S-P-O-D. And become a part of our community on Patreon, where you can find early access to our content, after-show discussions, and much more, starting at $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash tunespod. Don't forget to rate us and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. And subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We will soon be back as we take closer looks at the songs that build the soundtrack to our lives on the next episode of Tunes. <laughs>